Hi there, and welcome to the very first episode of This Argo Life. I'm your host, Abigail Meganson. Before we actually get started, I wanted to provide just a little bit of context for the show and answer some questions you might have, like, what the heck is this and why should I listen to it? Those seem like they're kind of important. This podcast is my thesis project for my undergraduate honors program. I opted out of doing a research paper and instead decided to produce this show. Trust me, it's at least the same amount of work, if not maybe a little bit more. My opinion is not something you're going to hear a lot of here. I want to tell people's stories and bring you along my journey in finding them and learning about the students, faculty, and staff here at UWF. What better podcast to name it after than This American Life? If you're familiar with the show, then consider me the Ira Glass of UWF. You should listen to this podcast because it's made just for you. Members of the UWF community with voices from the places you go to school and work at every day. This Argo Life will have four episodes total, each revolving around a theme. The show will sometimes be educational, sometimes entertaining, funny, and maybe even shocking. This podcast is part of the UWF student newspaper, The Voyager. The incredible music you will hear for our opening is by Ben Bailey, a musical theater student who was kind enough to make some sound for the show. Other than that, I hope you enjoy this very first episode. Let's get started. This week, we're off to an ironic start with a topic that isn't about UWF at all, but the experiences that come from being far away from everything you've ever known, studying abroad. I started with a question. Do students typically study abroad? I mean, I know we hear a lot about how we really should travel in college, it's a must, but how many of us actually take that step? To find out, I just walked up to some UWF students and asked them a simple question. Have you studied abroad before? And the answer was usually no. So my next question was, why not? I'm just like with getting through school, like I'm trying to graduate a little bit early, so. Haven't had the money, I guess. And I know there's like scholarship programs out there and stuff, but I don't know. I've thought about it. I've always wanted to like look into it, I guess, but I just never really went that far to go into it actually, but something I've always wanted to do. I haven't really looked into it that much because I have three other siblings. And my parent, our parents, like we did Florida prepaid. So like our college is paid for for undergrad. My career field or my study field, I haven't really found a reason to study abroad. But if I mean, if I was presented with the opportunity, I mean, anyone probably take it. I would take it. After this series of impromptu interviews, I wanted to find out why students should study abroad. I was especially interested in hearing stories from students who were actually there and professors who worked with these programs. I turned to my good friend and classmate Katie Deneen. Katie is a UWF student who studied abroad in Europe with the Catalyst program a year ago during the spring semester. After hearing all these incredible stories from her trip, I knew she'd be the perfect person to chat with. While she was abroad, Katie recorded a bunch of different sounds as she made her way through different cities with the program. The first one I'm going to let you hear is flamenco dancing in Spain. It was just like gorgeous watching watching this traditional dance and music uh, before my eyes. I had to record it because when they're doing the flamenco, you'll hear these like pats in it, and you think it's a drum, but it's actually the woman's heels. And um, to me, like her heels were just like telling the story, and the, the thuds were were strangely moving. Um, I'd never heard feet make music like that. 
But Katie recorded more than just flamenca dancing. There are moments taking in the city of Florence at night and listening to noises from a French bar. I've known Katie for a couple years now. We've spent time in student organizations and had some international relations classes together. But Katie wouldn't even be at UWF without the Cattles program. It's the reason she chose to become an Argo. In my senior year of high school, I came to UWF for a presidential scholarship competition. And Doug Mackeman, who founded the Catalyst program and runs it, was um, giving a presentation on it. And that's actually how I decided to come to UWF, was because I knew that the Catalyst program was offered here and I wanted to study abroad. Doug Mackeman helped found the Catalyst Study Abroad program. And later in the podcast, you can listen to a Q&A with him. Katie's favorite moments from her study abroad were a mix of socializing with her professors and fellow travelers, but she especially enjoyed some solitude. Me and a friend, Matthew, who I had just met three weeks before, um, decided to go travel around the south of Spain together. And so we were in Granada one day, and we decided to take a taxi to the Bies de Granada, which is a little town um, right in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. And it's... I think it's about an eight-mile hike from the Bies de Granada back to the center of the city. So we did that for for 10 hours. We just hiked from the mountains all the way back to the center of the city. Um, While we, we, it was just a gorgeous day, we found this like olive grove at one point midday and you know it's midday siesta time so Matthew took a nap under the trees and and um, we, you know, found different places to sit and drink wine and, and look at the look at the beautiful scenery. Um, so that was really special just because throughout the program we were in cities the whole time and it was it's important for, for me to be in nature. So to have that full day of just like solitude almost in nature was was pretty special. But during our conversation, I was intrigued by one word that Katie kept bringing up over and over again, curiosity, and specifically how study abroad can bring curiosity out in a person in ways no other experience can. Within, I, I suddenly am interested in history now, which I was never really in, interested in history before, but when you're learning about history and you're walking down the, the streets of Paris and you see a plaque on the front of every school that says how many Jewish kids were deported from there during the Holocaust and didn't come back. Like that still gives me goosebumps and it makes me really motivated to know the stories of of the people who came before you. And so just this like revamped curiosity in the world. So I'm curious in languages, I'm curious in history, I'm curious in literature and um, it's, it's maintained since I've come home. One piece of advice Katie wants to pass on to all students who are listening to this is to take advantage of being a student and travel now if you can manage it. Right now, you're young and you're studying and you have this school institution, like if you're studying abroad, you have this institution that's already set up that people have already gone, gone through and that wants you to sign up and they want to give you scholarships. They want to ensure that you're going to have a good time there and an educational time. And so why not capitalize on that? Because, you know, once you've graduated, UWF isn't gonna want you to come with them on their study abroad program. 
Feeling inspired by Katie's tales of travel, I wanted an opinion from the university. How easy is it to study abroad and how does UWF help students take that step? There to help me with those questions was Dr. Karen Smith. She's the Associate Director at the Study Abroad Center at the university. How are you Karen? Nice, nice to meet you, meet you Abigail. Come on back, Karen Smith. I have the recorder going, is that okay? Yes. <laughs> That's funny. We went to her office for the interview. It's exactly what you'd expect. Lots of postcards from travel destinations around the world and photos of her with students. I see all of these pictures around your office. Is there one that's especially meaningful to you? Well, they all are because the students are so different. And every They're every all from students. Uh, most of them. I mean, uh, so that's China. And then these top two here are Botswana. Oh, so I see you're kind of in the middle of all these students mm -hmm. there. And then on the bottom, that's um, Vietnam. Um, and then the postcards are just different places that I've, I've traveled or worked, and I switched those out so that students can see uh, different, you know, different places and see examples of what kind of the environmental context is, is like, and it helps them to understand some of the, the differences. It's that environmental context that Dr. Smith says is so critical when students actually do go and study abroad, that moment of being placed into a community and then adapting to it. Study abroad, it, it allows you to land into a country already part of a community which makes it a different experience than just going abroad even as a traveler, which is still you know, incredibly valuable. But that, that community provides uh, a network, a guidance, um, a more organized structure in which to immerse yourself in a, in a culture. Well, one thing I really wanted to find out was the logistics of preparing for study abroad. How can students find the time in their schedules? Dr. Smith said it's as simple as giving yourself time. Probably one of the, the saddest experiences in my job is to have a student that's coming to me in their last semester or at the end of their second to the last semester wanting to go abroad and there's not an opportunity for them because when they do go abroad they have to be able to take a full-time course load and so they have to have the courses left to take that are offered by that host institution. And so when a student thinks about that and plans early with their academic advisor, they can actually hold back some of the courses that they know that the host institution of interest actually offers so they can get the prerequisites that they need at UWF while waiting for that academic course while they're on their exchange program. And then my second question was all about money. Studying abroad is notoriously expensive, but Dr. Smith said it doesn't have to be. What do you wish you could tell students about study abroad? If you could nail one thing into their heads, what would you, what would you say to them? Uh, do it. There's really not a major barrier. Now, there's some destinations that are going to be more costly. For example, a study abroad program in Paris, uh, because it's a, it's a big city and the housing can be more expensive. But... If students were to compare estimated cost of attendance in, at most of our exchange partners against the cost of attendance that's published on the UWF website, they would find that the cost of attendance in many countries is actually estimated to be less. 
Dr. Smith suggests looking into study abroad as early as your freshman year to make sure you have time and can manage those finances. But what about students studying abroad right now? Luckily, one of my friends is currently studying abroad in Italy. I phoned him in. It was 8 p.m. when I called him, 1 p.m. our time. The sound quality is not great, disclaimer, so please forgive me on that one. But I think you'll find what Will has to say is pretty interesting. Hey there. See. Oh, there. There we have the speaker. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can, actually. I think we're all good on my end. Will Berger studies international relations at UWF. I gave him a call to see how he's doing with his study abroad in Siena, Italy. Uh, it's great. Um, it's kind of funny because uh, every, I don't want to sound bad when I say this, but every uh, positive stereotype has been true in a way. Uh, about Italy um, so like the the food is great um, there's a lot of pasta pretty much at every meal um, the people are very vivid with their expressions and just overall generally like spectacular uh, happy people so far so good on the day I called Will woke up at 10 went to class at 11 walked around the city and then went to an Italian class after a 40-minute scenic walk through the city at the end of the day, he met with his fellow students in the plaza. This was all pretty new for Will, who only just began his year-long study abroad program when I interviewed him back in the fall. It's, it's not a bad way to end the day. And how long have you been in Italy? You just got there, right? Pretty recently. Yeah, uh, yeah I've been here about two weeks, so... Okay, still getting used to everything? Um, surprisingly, no, because the city's like relatively small, so it's easy to go um, exploring within a day. Uh, you could probably see the whole city in less than a day, um, but there's a lot to see. It's just a relatively small, um, closed-in city. Uh, it used to be an old uh, military base for Florence, which is another city nearby, so it's kind of surrounded by walls. This experience in Italy has been surprisingly affordable for Will. He says it was basically the same price as going to UWF with some scholarship and other stipends. What's been great is with this study abroad program that I'm doing um, uh, with this university is that I pay the same amount of tuition as I do at UWF, which is phenomenal. Uh, so I know that some other universities, I have friends from other universities, and they have to pay more out of pocket. Uh, on top of their uh, uh, tuition at their home university. Um, but this program that is set up with this university here um, is the, the rate is great. So I, I can't speak for other study abroad programs, but this school offered uh, to pay for housing as well. That's part of the deal. So not only are you paying the same tuition, but I am not paying for housing right now. But Italy isn't all fun. Sometimes Will has trouble finding the right time to buy food during siesta. I guess one of the things that for me has been kind of hard has been trying to, uh, it's not easy, the hours are different. So a lot of the stores aren't open all day. They take like a, a siesta during the like afternoon. So it's, it's, it's weird because that's tend to when I want to get things or buy food is from like 12 to 2 and all, a lot of the restaurants and all the stores kind of closed down from 12 to 2 so that's been kind of a um a roadblock that I've had to 
swerve around. Will's studying international relations, and he's thinking about staying in Italy, even after graduation, possibly working as a liaison between politicians and non-governmental organizations. I'm going to roll back a bit for a second and ask you to remember the stories Katie told about flamenco dancing and hiking through olive groves. Now, that was all with the Catalyst program. Dr. Doug Mackeman has been visiting classes this spring, recruiting students for the five-week summer course. He was so charismatic and vibrant when he visited my class to recruit students that I just had to catch him on tape again. We sat down in the commons and I asked him to explain the Catalyst program to me and share some of his favorite stories. Thanks so much for meeting with me today, Doug. I, I really appreciate it. I know um, you've been recruiting for the Catalyst program these last few days, and that's your, your full-time endeavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a busy, as it always is, we're running all over campus and having a great time with our alumni along the, along the trail. Yeah, and you actually came into my class, and I had no idea you were coming, and it's like, oh, it's Doug. I had planned to meet with you ahead of time. And you said this one thing, it was this bit about dream killers and and the universities and college professors that are stopping students from studying abroad, or maybe they don't mean to necessarily, but it just, once students get into the system of colleges and universities, they don't take that step they always wanted to. Can you kind of talk about what you meant there? You know, I don't think it's the professors, quite frankly. I think every professor I talk to loves the idea of their students getting out of this campus and getting out into the world. The issue is more about curriculum, and it's more about how tight our system has become. If you're a nursing student, you're locked into a curriculum, and kind of everyone knows that that's the way it's going to go, or you're pre-med. Well, now that's expanded to every major you can possibly think of, has seeded over the possibility of much flexibility beyond the first year or maybe the sophomore year. Past that point, the idea, for example, of studying abroad for a semester, which is how people's parents and grandparents did it back in the day, it's almost impossible. Thankfully, our College of Business has a couple of semester opportunities that are really well participated in by our business students. But in the humanities, you, you really have to look hard to find the student who's going to find that perfect exchange program that fits into her or his plan. So honestly, developing the catalyst has been largely about figuring out a way to thread the needle so that students who come from different disciplines and would otherwise not be able to study abroad in our program, they can find a way to do it. That's great. And can you tell us a, a little bit about that, about who you are and what the Catalyst program is? I'm just a professor who, you know, fell in love with teaching um, after grad school and needed to find a way personally to get to Europe so I could do my research on my first and second books. And an old colleague of mine at Southern Miss, where I taught for more than 20 years, said, well, look, you should look at study abroad. It's what I do, and it works for me, and it worked for me. My first group of students went over. There were seven uh, hardy, eager folks in that group, and that little program just grew and grew and grew, and that's become kind of what I do, more so than research and certainly much more so than active classroom teaching. Now what I do is teach abroad, and it's just my biggest passion. When did the Catalyst program start? When was that first group of students in? 
first group of Catalyst students with the University of West Florida was 2014. I think we had about 22 or 23 students. And the program's grown to the point where um, last year we had 65. This year we're looking at 80 students. And we're the largest study abroad program run by any university in the state. And honestly, it's because we have great, great support. And we've got students who when presented with an opportunity that they can actually take academic advantage of, our students want to go out in the world as much as anybody's students. Yeah, it seems like such a, a non-question that you would want to study abroad in college, but you do have that barrier of maybe you don't have time because your curriculum is so focused mm -hmm. and you don't have time to take a, a semester off. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember a time when you had a particular student and maybe they were afraid to go abroad or, or they weren't sure about it and then they ended up loving it and being happy with their decision? I won't say the last name. If I may say the first name, had a UWF Argo uh, who came across as I believe she was a sophomore and her first name is Emily. And uh, we got over for a semester program, our village program, which we've run since 2014 as well. And I think Emily probably had significant tears in her eyes for the first week when we were staying in this little itty bitty village in France. And our coordinators and our faculty kept working with Emily to let her take a look at what was around her. Let her see how in fact this tiny rural town was very similar to where she'd spent a lot of time at her grandparents in West Virginia. Uh, let her kind of connect with the town itself. And Emily went from being a student who I thought might have to come home from the program because she just couldn't make it, to someone who did the whole program and became a missionary for the program and returned, changed her major, pledged and joined a sorority where she took up a leadership position. And if Emily is listening right now or anybody who knows her or remembers that village group is listening right now, they will know that she has become a phenomenal woman and that she will stand up in front of anybody and say a lot of why she is who she is is because she conquered what she felt those early days in the village and she did the village. That's a that's that's just really an, an incredible story. Do you think it was that the time spent do you think the time spent study abroad like you know, there's summers maybe people do two weeks or a semester or maybe there's a study abroad option that's 10 days. Does the length matter at all? I think it does. If I could make it so everybody had curricular flexibility and had support from advisors uh, and the university could help with additional scholarship support, I would encourage everyone to do a semester. There's just nothing like unpacking, hanging up some stuff on the walls, and knowing you're going to be in the same place. It's The thing about the semester that really is different is you feel like you're living in a place as opposed to feeling like a traveler, someone who's passing through. So our students right now who are on the village program, they're spending three months in Europe. The old model of the village was most of that time was spent in a tiny town. Now, I think in part because everybody needs a more Instagrammable life I'm told the village is in a couple of destinations they begin for a month in an itty bitty French town then they're in Paris for a week then they're in London and finally they're in Barcelona Spain for a whole month but that experience of being abroad longer it gives you the right for the rest of your life to say you lived in Europe 
And if you go like our students do in huge numbers on our beloved Catalyst, they're going to say they traveled and that they explored and they learned and they really know these places, London, Paris, Berlin, and Prague. But it's hard in only five weeks for any of us, no matter how much we want to, to say we actually live there. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think so. And when you spoke in class yesterday, you gave all these really vibrant details about what it was like to study abroad. I mean, actual, kind of like a, you painted a picture, um, at least for the class. Can you, can you do that again and tell us what, it, what, it's, what it's really like, like an incident or something uh, a student study, studying abroad might run into? Well, for our psychology students, for example, um, and for history students in, in some of the teaching that I do abroad, you know, students have heard and experienced perhaps even firsthand with family members the issues of PTSD. But when we're abroad and our students in our iconic Catalyst course, Madness, are lining up at the Queen Square Archive in the center of Bloomsbury, London, and they're ready to go in to that archive and read the uh, treatment protocols of Dr. Yellen, who treated soldiers coming home from the Western Front in the Great War. First World War, particularly after the Battle of the Somme in July of 1916, what Yellen's treatment protocols consisted of looks to our psychology majors like nothing other than utter torture. And so our students holding these documents in their hands that nobody has bothered to look at in maybe a hundred years and reading the first-hand accounts by soldiers who really couldn't even write very well themselves talking about being buried alive in a trench. And then they read what doctors and professional medicine conspired to do by way of treatment. It is a lights out, gut punch, classic catalyst moment. And there's no way in the world to see those documents and those treatment protocols unless you cross the threshold of Queen Square and walk in there. You walk out humbled because it's kind of unforgettable. That's not the most glorious shining moment of study abroad in a beautiful sense, but for our psych majors, it's something they never forget. And I think when you experience something firsthand, you can read about something, you can see a movie about something, but when you actually are physically there and experience something for yourself, I think that there's an internal switch and change that, that happens, and that's such, that's such an incredible thing that students get to, get to experience. Um, on the flip side, were there any more lighthearted moments? <laughs> I have to ask. It's all doom and gloom. <laughs> you know, I, what I love doing with students is I, I meet them at the hostel. Most of our professors do about 9.30 on our teaching days. And, you know, we take off and we regroup and we, we walk up to 10 miles a day in a typical class session. Think of PowerPoint, except instead of slides and sitting in a room, we go out and we build our data points as we teach. So one of the favorite things that students love to do with me is, well, somebody will have to go to the loo terribly. Dr. Mack, you know, we need to pull over. We need a pit stop here for so-and-so. Because they know I'm a sucker for a French cafe and we'll pop in there pretty soon. We can't resist all getting coffees. So we're sitting around this 150-year-old zinc bar counter with itty-bitty little espressos in her hands. The students are all taking selfies, and you're like, you know what, it may get better than this for a professor, for a teaching faculty member, but I can't know how it could be better. 
I do, I do love my espresso as well. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so I went around today and I was uh, talking to students and I was surprised by how many just didn't study abroad and asking them why. And they said opportunity and finances were big factors. Does that align with what you know about why students don't study abroad more? No. I think the real reason students don't study abroad is because it's not on their horizon line of expectation. You know, if we're at Harvard or University of Michigan, students are all studying abroad. Their parents have all been abroad. Their families travel. They were born with passports. They were the kids who did the band trip to Ireland. It's just part of their DNA. For our panhandle in Alabama and from all over Florida and elsewhere students, this is UWF. And it's a new era for our university. It's a new sense that we are meant to go out into the world and bring the knowledge that we've got and learn while we're there. The real thing is not the money. That's the comfortable thing for a student to say. It's much harder for a student to say, I don't have a dream of being in Amsterdam. I've never thought about myself in Rome. I can't envision how it would feel to be in Paris. Honestly, that's why I hit it so hard and why I go out to as many as 100 class presentations in a week or 10 days. Not because I just love to get paid by the word in my job, for goodness sake. I do it because I think the students here need to be awakened a little bit to their own need for some new dreams. It, they have plenty of dreams, but the global dream that any student who's at UW-Madison or UC Berkeley or an Ivy School, they get it as a birthright. Our students have it but it's like it just needs to be sort of tuned a little bit with some bass dropped in and some treble, and they need to be able to see it and feel it. And then they are just like every other student. They want to go too, and they'll find a way to get there. And the money, they'll figure that out. Right. And I'm going to try and play devil's advocate for just a second, but I'm a student, and um, I'm sure you've been kind of doing this the whole week. You've been kind of convincing students. But if I'm a student, I say, hey, I, I'm a first-generation college student. Um, I don't have a big expectation of going abroad. I don't really have the finances. I feel like my major might not let me. I, I don't really know about the opportunities. And then you come in. How do you convince someone like me that it's worthwhile to study abroad, whether it's through Catalyst or some other program? You know, there's the left brain and the right brain piece. You know, the right brain piece, I want to level with you about how this will help you and your employability. I want to talk to you about how a law school admission committee is going to look at a young woman or young man from UWF who did this and think more favorably. I want to give you the data points that are about finding a first job within nine months of graduation is so much more likely for you if you have study abroad. And then there's the other piece which is about a sentimental education. I talk to my alumni all the time about this how it is when we're abroad and we're teaching in the rain, standing in front of the memorial to the deported Jews of Europe, and it's misty, and it's just this moment where a class has been working so hard on a shared project really comes together. It's a sentimental education. And is it helpful to you vocationally? Honestly, who cares at that level? Because you as a person change in moments like that. And in our normal lives back here, those moments are harder to come by. When we're abroad, moments like that are happening every day for our students. 
And the final piece I tell students, and believe me, they roll their eyes or they check their phones, they don't care, is when you commit as a first time in college or first year of, you know, first kid in college experience, when you commit to doing something like this, as big a change as this will be for you, the real thing is what this does to the entire line of humanity that is anchored by you. The children you go on to have are going to do this. Why? Because their parents already fought that war and did it. If you defer and only play defense and you don't go on offense, then you are outsourcing this battle to your kids. They're going to be the ones who have to make this happen. It's not going to be a birthright to them unless you do it. And that's not super compelling to a bunch of students who are tired on a Monday morning on a classroom on campus. But for some of them, it hits them because it's a legacy thing they know they're doing as first-generation college students. They're already doing something that's amazing. Why not double down and do something that's amazing, not just for you as the victor, but that is a gift to everybody who comes after you? And that, my friend, is Study Abroad's legacy. So you're really saying that study abroad should be this critical part of college and university curriculum, right? You know, we've got some leaders on campus in our College of Business in the, I believe it's the Marketing and Global uh, Econ program where it is a requirement. I would love to see more majors build global study into what we're asking our students, requiring our students to do. There may be some students who, for myriad reasons, simply cannot go. Then there need to be bailout kind of different activities. I get that. But if our university embraces our position on the Gulf Coast, the way in which we're avenues of all kinds of excellence to our state, to our region, to our country, and then globally, the only way we can make good on what our promise as an institution really is, and the promise we should be making every day to our undergrads and grad students, is if we offer our students the globe as something that's expected of them. And we're trying. We're trying all over campus, and we are absolutely trying with the Catalyst program and the Village program. Yeah, I mean, your boots have really been hitting the ground these last few days, and you were doing interviews for scholarships just before I came in came in to talk here. I think that's all we have time for, but thank you so much for sitting down uh, in, the, in the comments with me after your busy day. I know you'll still be working uh, in, in the days, days to come. Thank you so much, Doug. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be here. I appreciate it a lot. All right, and that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening to This Argo Life. If you liked it, share with friends, classmates, roommates. Rate and review us wherever you're listening from, and don't forget to subscribe for the next episode. Go Argos. <laughs>